Welcome to Idle Chatter, brought to you by the Machinery Digest, where steel and soil meet. A weekly podcast by a New Jersey farmer to all farmers and ranchers across this great nation. And yes, there are farms in New Jersey. Regardless of the crop you grow or the livestock you raise, we all have one thing in common. Agriculture runs on passion, sweat, tears, and machinery. And that is why the Machinery Digest exists. A no-nonsense, grease-under-your-fingernails educational website. It was created to provide a transfer of knowledge so that you can maintain, service, and most importantly, understand today's complex farm equipment. My name is Ray Bohax and I farm too. It is time now to get under the sheet metal. Hello my friends and welcome to Idle Chatter from the Farm Machinery Digest. As always, I am your host, Ray Bohax, coming to you from our chilly family farm on Cat Swamp Road in Hackettstown, New Jersey. So, uh, hey, hopefully everything is going well for you today. And we did get the winter did finally arrive last week, or the other day I should say. And it got kind of chilly last week, but nothing too bad. And this the other morning was uh, minus one uh, F for our listeners that are up in Canada or overseas. And uh, so it was a little bit chilly, negative one. But we had some snow, and we didn't get as much snow as they had predicted, which I have no problem with. We probably got about four inches. My sister lives up in Buffalo area, Tonawanda, New York. If anybody is a uh, a Chevy engine guy, there's a Chevy plant there. They used to make the big blocks there years ago. And they used to say on the valve covers, Tonawanda Forging. And she lives up there. And they got about 18 inches. We got about 4 inches, but then it was crazy. We had everything in one day. It was supposed to turn to sleet, but it didn't. It went right, right to rain. And we got about an inch of rain on 4 inches of snow. So you all know what that's about. And then the temperature dropped precipitously and went from 30 degrees down to minus one in about six or seven hours. And the wind whipped up and uh, everything froze like concrete. But thankfully, uh, we were able to get, or I was cleaning it up with the tractor and my wife, Charlotte, helped me in the chicken coop for my girls, the trumpets. And uh, to clean that up for them so they're all good and dry and put shavings down. So everything is pretty good, thank God. Can't complain, it's winter time, but uh, I could have done without the uh, minus one freezing the snow hard as a rock. But what we're going to talk about today, you know, it's it's funny because, I don't think, well, I guess it's not funny, it's just a <laughs> way of saying something, is that I give thought to what I would like to talk about on my show each week, obviously, I don't just sit down and whip it out. Uh, but I do, There, I mean, everything is just right off the cuff there's no script or anything and uh and i try to think about what's what i'm going to do on each show and then uh the last couple of weeks i've been saying to you that i wanted to start a uh not a series but the next month or so or four or five six shows to talk about different things you could do in the farm shop to your equipment to get it ready for spring and not the common things, for, for instance, like last week's podcast, we spoke about uh, checking grounds and doing fluid analysis and other things. But uh, And I felt that uh, that would be very timely, and I am going to continue that 
but what I'm going to do today is I'm going to break away a little bit. Because I figured winter is long enough that we have plenty of time to check things over in the farm shop. But I want to break away a little bit. And the catalyst for that was the cold weather. So what I am going to talk about today on the show is um, getting an engine to start when it's real cold. And I personally don't think minus one is real cold. But I know that there's listeners out west and up in the western Canada that the temperature uh, is, you know, minus 20, minus 30, minus 40 F. And uh, at one particular point, I think it's at 32 or 32 de- 32 or 33 degrees of uh, minus uh, unseated. It converts over more or less the same as Fahrenheit. But uh, I should remember my my math better, but I don't. When you live in the States and you deal with English all the time, even though you learned all of that in school, it's, you have to get out the... Um, the conversion chart to see what the equation is. But anyway, so today's show, I'm going to talk about uh, getting an engine to start reliably in cold weather, and I think that's appropriate. You know, my wife reads, gets a lot of women's magazines, and they'll always have trends in them, and they'll say, hey, you know, uh, you get ready for summer swimsuit season, and that usually comes right after, after Christmas, and then they'll have... Uh, you know, they'll have different trends for the seasons or whatever come up. So I guess it's not too bad of an idea to do that with a show with the podcast. But I also wanted to just break away and not get too much off on a tangent, which I am famous for. And uh, so I want to try to stay on course for the new year and not get too much off into the weeds. But, you know, I go every morning to truck stop, which is about 20 miles away. It's a TA, TA truck stop and uh, for coffee and I go for a walk and early in the morning and I get coffee there and I go for a walk and it gives me the opportunity to to get my mind ready for the day you know when you work at home uh, when you work on the farm at least when when working on the farm I'm outside but when I do my other business as far as my writing and the farm machinery digest and contributing to magazines I'm in my office in the basement which is where I am right now so I can't simply just go from my bedroom upstairs to downstairs and start to create. So for many years now, I take a ride there in the morning. It's about 20 miles away one way. And I get my coffee, I draw it up, I meet people, and I go for a walk. I walk the whole back lot, and I am able to uh, just you know collect my thoughts, spend time with God. I see interesting stuff. It's an interesting dynamic because the truck's always constantly moving in and out. And you can see some beautiful things. You meet some interesting people and what have you. So that's what I do. And then uh, this morning when I was getting my coffee at about, uh, I get there about 5, between 5 and 5.30, usually about 5.15, depending upon the weather and what they have going on in the a.m. So I ran into this woman and I was... uh, she was she was little, she was looking for lids for the coffee cups and what have you. So it, you know, and and this is not I'm not saying this that I'm going to stop here. I'm not saying this because I'm tooting my own horn by no means. But there's a method to my madness for me telling you this. And you know, it's it's interesting how just a, a, a hello or a smiling smiling face or uh, asking someone just offering to help someone. For finding for the lids of coffee cups can make someone's day and I know people have done that to me and it makes my day but to make a long story short this woman was heading into Sloan Kettering in New York City which is most of you probably know that that's a big cancer center and then she revealed to me that she had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma that she um, 
that they thought was under control but was not and they're going and she's going into this into Sloan Kettering and they're going to do some kind of new procedure where they take the, something the T cells out of her blood I never heard of it and they actually attach uh, a uh, what's the, I don't want to say a germ to it or what have you but it's almost like BT corn and they take this they take her blood out they put they attach a cell or I, I'm thinking for the word onto the blood and re-put it back in here and it's almost and it's just like a BT corn so it's amazing how you know there's two points I want to drive home here it's amazing how the technology that we use in agriculture is is migrating into the medical research field and going back and forth and so many people are against GMO crops and BT biotech or not biotech you know uh, bt corn and all of this and they really don't and they're using it to cure cancer so i think that's something an important message that we need to uh to understand and talk about and the other thing i wanted to say is that if you happen to go to my website and go under the video tab i have some videos that i'm not responsible with making any of them but i have some videos that are really thought-provoking anything that's there is not junk so it's uh of high quality and thought-provoking and there is a video there called empathy and that is from the Cleveland Clinic and it really is excellent and it really uh, this morning I really thought of that because this woman obviously wanted someone to talk to and then just by showing her and tell her showing her what the lids are it gave her the opportunity to open up her life story and not her life story but her condition to me and then I told her that I would pray for her I asked for her name and I'm very bad with remembering names until I really see the person a number of times so I explained to her about how there was genetically modified crops and they basically do the same thing which she was very very interested in and I told her I'm going to pray for her and call her GMO girl so if you get a chance if you get a chance go to the website and there's two videos that are favorites of mine and one is empathy and one is into the heart and uh, you really need to watch them and you need to watch them multiple times and it's really uh, it really grounds you so I just hope that you get a chance to do that so empathy and into the heart and into the heart is not about the car pay attention to the watch alrighty now that I've wasted a lot of time telling you about that but I don't think it is a waste of time because if we could make someone's day that's what life is all about Alright, so now we're going to deal with cold start issues. What I'm going to do is that, you know, the hallmark of a good mechanic, the hallmark of a good hot rod farmer or a good anybody who's with machinery is that there's no excuses attached to anything. And, uh, you know, think of it as, as like aviation or the space shuttle. There's no excuses. So there's no excuse or why an engine should not start up to a certain point in temperature. Now, keep in mind that gasoline and um, without any great degree of ethanol in it so like from E0 to we'll say like E10 or E15 and uh, only because the majority of the of the of the uh, fuel is gasoline so the dynamics that the, I'll say the DNA of it, or its characteristics of how it works and how it functions and its chemical conversion is the same uh, as almost as E0 whereas once you get up to E85 there's some little bit different dynamics because obviously it's 85% ethanol and you know that's is I'm a big big supporter of ethanol so but for this conversation I need to identify E0 to we'll say E15 but <laughs> 
What needs to be understood is that at approximately minus 45 degrees F, that gasoline will not vaporize without an external heat source. So at minus 45 F, and that means that the fuel has to be 45 F and the carburetor or fuel injector has to be 45 F. Because you could be saying to me, well, I've started the started in a gasoline engine and it was, the thermometer said it was minus 52. Yeah, but was the gasoline minus 52? The gasoline might, may have been minus 43, and that's why it vaporized. But what needs to be understood is that the rate of vaporization is very, very poor. At 60 degrees F, 60F, so it's a nice spring day, that the vaporization of gasoline is only about 50%. So about 50% of what is being put into that engine is only turning to a vapor. And keep in mind that three things need to happen to gasoline for it to become a fuel that is suitable to run an engine. It needs to be atomized, which means broken into f small particles, fine particles, but still in a liquid form. Think of an aerosol can, all right, spraying from an aerosol can. All right, then it's broken into small particles, but it is still liquid. The next thing, it needs to be emulsified, which means mixed with air. And the third thing that needs to happen is it needs to go have a phase change from a liquid albeit very small particles, to a gaseous state, meaning that it's rarefied, that it's no longer in liquid form. And to have the phase change occur, you need heat. And it actually, it's called the latent heat of vaporization. But gasoline will not vaporize at minus 45, minus 46 F or below. And up until that particular point, the rate of vaporization becomes so poor that you need to overfuel the engine to get it to start and then run. Now, once the, once combustion starts, um, even on one cylinder, you're going to have uh, the heat obviously increase from the combustion event, and it is going to improve the rate of vaporization. All right, so that is is something that we need to uh, understand. So there's what I'm going to discuss in this show today for you folks is that I'm going to discuss cold start, what you need to get a, a gasoline engine to cold start, and then what I'm going to do is about a diesel engine to cold start. But there are commonalities that we need to be concerned with between the two of them. All right, so what I'm going, what I'll do is that I'll talk about the commonalities, and if there is something that breaks away that's slightly different, I will address that uh, for diesel, and then we will uh, can pick that up as the show goes on. Alrighty, the most, of, the first thing we need to be concerned with, we don't have uh, gelling problems or anything with gasoline as you do with diesel fuel, so we don't have to, we take that right off the map, but there are. The things we have to be concerned with are the cranking speed. All right, the cranking speed on any engine is going to be affected or impacted positively or negatively by the strength of the battery, and that is its current state of charge, along with its ability to put amps out amperage, which is electron flow. So it's going to be the battery, the health of the battery, we'll use that term, the health of the starter motor, and which actually is called a cranking motor. Lay people call it a starter, and I call it a starter, but it's actually called a cranking motor because it does not start the engine, it turns the crankshaft, all right? The next thing 
is the condition of the cables both the positive and the negative the, and the, the cleanliness of the connections at the battery and and at the ground and also at the starter the next thing is the actual ground circuit if the ground has a high if there's a high voltage drop across the ground we've discussed that on this show before and you need you will lose a lot of power that way so it needs to have a very efficient ground and then the other thing is the thickness of the oil in the crankcase so <clears throat> let's touch on these briefly as far as the battery is concerned the most accurate way for you to determine whether a battery has a capacity to crank an engine in the cold weather now keep in mind that batteries do not like cold and they do not like hot they they want they want to live in florida in the summertime i mean in winter time when it's 70 degrees so the colder it gets the the less chemical reaction happens in that battery and as that battery ages and those cells become sulfated and become deteriorated it gets affected more by the cold just like an you figure in like an older person or an older animal their their circulation is different their body has aged and they cannot take the cold as well as a younger person or younger animal and you could see that with your cell phone even is that if you leave your cell phone out and it's very very cold and you leave it in your car or your truck overnight or someplace or leave it in the cab or the tractor and it gets down to be minus something one two three whatever the number be 10 degrees f positive is that you'll see that the amount of capacity that the battery has is greatly diminished and then if you would without charging and if you were to take that battery and then warm it up even if you popped it out of your cell phone and put it in, in between your hands and held it so you have your body heat warming it up you'll put pl- you'll pop it back into the phone and see that the amount of charge is much greater so all batteries have less storage power when it is cold than when it is warm and then conversely in extreme heat the battery starts to ramp off also but it gets affected more by the cold than the extreme heat so if the battery is older it is not going to have the ability to have the potential energy to crank the engine over when it is very cold and the most accurate way for you to determine that other than waiting for a minus 20 degree f day to test your battery is on something called a load tester it's a carbon pile it puts a load across the battery it's a tool that most mechanic shops have uh you could buy an inexpensive handheld load tester that doesn't have that um that's probably uh puts 150 amps or so on it and they're good they're not as they're not as accurate as the uh as the professional ones but they're also not four thousand dollars so a good rule of thumb that i like to tell people is that you could you, you know you could do a farmer load tester and this is you know obviously not when the, the vehicle or the engine doesn't want to start you need to go feed cows so this is a precursor to it what you would do is put a voltmeter across the battery and you would uh load it with something that leave the headlights on for a few minutes on high beams and then with the voltmeter across it crank the engine and you could disable it uh however that diesel or gasoline engine however you want to disable it and crank it and it should be able to crank for about 15 seconds and the battery voltage should stay above 9.2 9.6 volts so anyway so the thing is that the battery is going to be the key because that is where the energy comes to 
turn the starter motor. Now keep in mind that we have a weakened battery and then we start to crank the engine and we pull that voltage down. On a gasoline motor that means we're also pulling that voltage down to to the ignition system and this you know, what's going to happen is electricity is going to be passive and it's going to whatever is the biggest load is going to steal from it. So if you're taking a lot of amperage from the starter and really pulling that battery down then what you're going to do is you're going to have less voltage going into the ignition coil on a gasoline engine which makes for a weaker spark so that's why everything starts at the battery and its connections because you need to be able to have the full output of that battery and to be able to crank that engine and be able to give the full voltage to the ignition system because if you don't have the full voltage to the ignition coil you're going to have weak spark at the spark plug and it is not going to ignite the fuel because remember the, the rate of vaporization and thus the rate of ignition in cold weather is very poor now the starter the starter is very important because if that starter is old or the engine had oil leak in it it's got a lot of oil leaked in it's got a lot of crud in it or whatever or the brushes are old or the commentator is is is, is all uh worn it's going to require more amperage from the battery to start it and all of that is going to be exaggerated on a cold day because there's going to be the contraction of all the parts so now basically we have a battery that's weak and we have a starter that is drawing too much energy now i'm going to break away for one second there again is that it's imperative on both a gasoline and diesel engine for two different reasons that the engine cranks at a sufficient speed for it to start on a gasoline engine you need to crank it have the crankshaft turn at a, at a sufficient speed while it's starting for two reasons number one is that if it's a carburetor you need to be able to cause enough of, of a pressure differential what we would call a diff uh, a depression to pull fuel through the carburetor to basically get it into the engine and even if it's a fuel injected engine the fuel even though it's administered by an injected that pressure differential is what actually pushes the fuel into the cylinder so if you can't if you're cranking very slowly if the, if the engine is cranking very so, slowly you can't cause enough of a depression gas fuel injected or carburetor to pull enough fuel into that engine to get it to have a few to, to be able to ignite so cranking speed is is imperative the engine needs to crank very fast so that and that's why also a lot of snow blowers they have a uh, electric starter on them and they also have a pull start and they have that because you could turn it over much quicker with the electric starts so you have more depression and you could pull the fuel into the cylinder whereas the rope start you can't physically pull the crankshaft speed during uh, during starting is not as is not as high so keep that in mind is that if you have a starter that is that is oily greasy and what have you that it's going to draw more current and it's going to make the engine harder more ornery to start even with a brand new battery in it and the same thing comes with the cables and with the cables if the cables are old and the corroded i've said this before in the show when I spoke about voltage drop, that a lot of battery cables that go from the battery to either the ground or to the starter or solenoid, whatever that particular application has, is that they'll get corrosion up 
between the cable and the insulation and it'll have a high amount of resistance in there and you will not be able to get the full battery potential energy to that uh, cranking motor or starter motor. So the cables are important, the ground circuit is important, and the thickness of the oil. So all of these things are going to impact the cranking speed on a gasoline or diesel engine. So it's going to be the condition of the battery, the condition of the starter, the condition of the cables, the condition of the ground circuit, even brand new cables. If you can put brand new cables and you have a dirty ground or the bolt that holds it and that's all corroded there and you don't clean it before you put it on is that you're going to have a high impedance ground and thus you're going to have lower voltage going into the starter circuit, crank lower cranking speed and lower ignition uh, input voltage. And then the, th the last thing is the thickness of the oil. Uh, that was one of the things years ago. Everybody used to run 1040 oil, 20, uh, 20 W50 oil. And keep in mind that the W stands for winter, not weight. And if the oil is too thick, it's going to create a parasitic loss in, um, in the crankcase because it's going to be very hard for the crankshaft to to turn through that oil but also for it to pump that oil up into the uh, critical parts of the engine and that is one of the reasons why all of the new engines use much thinner weight oils the chemistry of the oil has changed dramatically and we're able to support what is called the oil wedge theory which I will do a show on that probably sometime later on this year uh, I'll put it in my list, but and the oil wedge so it could maintain the oil wedge, which to give you a, a, a heads up for that, that's the the thickness of the oil, the cushion between the bearing and the journal that actually holds the holds the um, the journal of the crankshaft or the connecting rod, uh, well off of the um, off of the uh, well connecting rod off the crankshaft or the crankshaft off the main bearings so that is um, what's called the oil wedge has it is not the thickness people can confuse that with the thickness of the bearing clearance no it's called the oil wedge and uh, and the oil needs to maintain that wedge that separation between so it's not metal to metal but that is what one of the reasons why all of the new engines have a thinner oil because they want to get up to the they want to get up to all the parts quicker, move quicker through the engine, and they want to have less parasitic loss from the uh, cranking on e cold start, especially, but also on hot on on hot restart. But obviously, cold start start when the oil is the thickest, it's the most problematic. So, if you're a guy who's running 2050 oil on something, or 10. 50 or 1550 then if everything is good the battery is good the starter is good the, the cables are good everything is good that you will have a, a sufficient cranking speed to start that engine but if not then all bets are off because if you don't get that that crankshaft turning fast enough you're not going to uh, be able to bring that charge into that cylinder even on a diesel because even though if you have a nozzle and if it's a um, indirect injection diesel where it sprays into a pre-chamber or even a direct injection diesel you need to be able to have that cranking speed there and we're going to touch on that because diesel has some has some interesting aspects to it alrighty so let's move quickly into gasoline 
we spoke about poor rate of vaporization of fuel and you know and keep in mind that the dynamics of fuel vaporization have not changed whether it's a carbureted motor or an injected motor what has changed is the theory the method of way the enrichment is provided and also how that fuel is both vape atomized and vaporized but when you go to the gas pump in town and you buy whatever five gallons of gas to put in your lawnmower or, f or you put five gallons of gas in your pickup truck there's not a gas pump that says lawnmower it's like it says pickup truck uh, suv uh, whatever it doesn't it's, it's all the same so the dynamics of of the fuel do not change with the application that it is poured into so now on a carburetor we have a choke and we usually have a pull-off and that's with an automatic choke and the thing is that if you have a smaller engine it would have a hand choke not an automatic choke but what a lot of people don't understand is the purpose of the choke they realize that the purpose of the choke is to give the engine enrichment because of the poor vaporization rate of the fuel but they think that it's actually choking off air and what it's really not doing is it's the choke plate in simplistic terms we could do a whole show on this the choke plate actually blocks off and causes blocks off the 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 entrance to the carburetor to expose and the word is exposed full cranking vacuum full manifold vacuum to the to the main metering circuit to pull fuel to pull the maximum amount of fuel from the boost through the booster so and through the idle circuit so what's basically happening is that what we're we're limiting the airflow so think of it this way if you take a straw and you suck on a straw and you have the straw is completely open you suck it's very easy now you close that off right and you have and you close off and you try to suck and then the the amount of effort you take is is much higher to try to suck through it and in essence and i'm going to put a uh, article up on the learning series probably next week or two about truly how a choke works and it's important for you to understand that because even though you have fuel injected engines if you have a seed tender you have a lawnmower you have something else you have a a pump that you pump uh, fertilizer from a tote and it's gasoline powered it's going to have a choke a small engine so um, some bigger small engines have EFI but they're basically going to have a choke so it's important for you to understand that so in essence it's exposing full manifold vacuum to um to the venturi so the carburetor could pull the maximum amount of fuel because of the poor rate of vaporization and also because of the slower cranking speed because of the thickness of the oil and the contraction of the parts in the engine and the weakness of the battery so it's actually it's actually not limiting the air it's actually controlling the vacuum that the venturi of the carburetor sees and so if that choke is not working properly and if it's an automatic choke a lot of people don't know how to start an engine with an automatic choke so let's say you have an older irrigation motor why well, you wouldn't be irrigating in the winter but uh but the thing you have an old engine on a gen set whatever uh plow truck whatever it may be an old gasoline engine and it has an automatic choke the proper way to start that engine is to be is to go and slowly put your foot to the floor twice to the floor once release slowly twice again all right and release and what that'll do is that if the automatic choke spring is working properly and the choke is not stuck it will move the 
throttle the fast idle screw away from the, the cam the fast idle cam and allow the choke butterfly to fly to close and will also actually provide a shot each time you move the throttle to full deflection of the accelerator pump to spray some fuel into the intake manifold so what you do is once to the floor release twice to the floor release now you go and crank if it doesn't if it doesn't start in 10 seconds of cranking in 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 10 seconds it's, it, 10 seconds doesn't sound like a long time but it's a long time when you're cranking an engine or if it doesn't start within i like to say four or five crankshaft revolutions not seconds but some people in the industry say seconds then you stop cranking and you could give it another halfway shot to the floor and then back so you give it a little bit more accelerator pump stroke and then she should light off if that choke needs to be set properly as far as spring tension is concerned and it also needs to be free to move and once that engine fires in most instances they'll have what's called a choke pull off or a choke break and this choke pull off will actually open up the choke plate slightly to reduce the amount of vacuum that the main metering circuit is going to pull fuel through the booster during crank and then it'll start so it'll lean it out slightly and then as the temperature comes up the choke an automatic choke will actually start to open because of the bimetallic spring if it's a hand choke then you would modulate it by hand but the function is the same all right as far as creating a very exposing the circuit of the carburetor to a high vacuum signal a great amount of depression so it actually pushes the fuel into the engine and as I, I may not have said I wanted to a minute or so ago is that the pressure differential is what puts fuel into an engine so the, the low pressure or vacuum which is any pressure uh, below atmospheric and the atmospheric pressure pushes the fuel through the carburetor and on an, even on an injected engine it pushes the charge into the cylinder so it's the pumping action of the piston some people say it sucks fuel or pulls fuel well it really doesn't it's a push-pull relationship so now what people do and i really saw this from the car side of my life is they don't know how to start an engine with automatic choke they're wrapping the throttle while they're cranking they're putting it to the floor you don't want to do that because every time that you put your foot to the floor while you're cranking most when i say modern the past 50 years 40 years carburetors will have what they call a choke unloader and when you put your foot to the floor it opens up the choke plate so you're not getting that enrichment Alrighty, so that's that's something twice to the floor release crank if it doesn't start stop cranking another half a shot to the floor get a little bit more accelerator pump stroke crank and then she should go off now if the engine wants to load up right after it starts then that means that the choke pull-off angle is not working or it's misadjusted so it's not giving enough air right after it starts and the hallmark of that would be the engine would start fine and it starts to run for a few seconds and then it starts to go boo, 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 and starts to blow black smoke out of the back and everything that's a choke pull-off angle and historically on an older engine the diaphragm in a choke pull-off will have rotted or dry rotted or ex actually expanded from oil film oil fumes not film and would not be pulling the choke open alrighty so in essence if you have a gasoline engine and you could get it to crank well and provide before because of due to all the things that we discussed you get it to crank well 
and at a good cranking speed and and supply sufficient voltage to the ignition coil the choke the choke be it automatic choke or manual choke is set is set properly if it's a uh, a manual choke even on a small engine like a, a snowblower or something a lot of them have a prime button that's giving it a a shot of fuel into the intake manifold right and that's all set properly and that that engine will start there's no reason why it's not starting ready so if you're getting good voltage to the ignition coil the the and it you it's it's sparking the spark plugs good cranking speed enough enrichment for the, to, to deal with the poor rate of vaporization she's going off right now what happens afterwards is a different story because what you need to do what a lot of people will do and is that they'll go out and they'll they'll short duty cycle they'll start an engine and let's say oh i want to see if it's going to start take because i got to go to go into town and it's real cold out keep in mind that on any gasoline engine i don't care what year it is fuel injected carbureted that you need to get that spark plug center electrode to over 500 degrees f for it to start to burn off the cranking fuel which is uh, most engines gasoline engines will crank at a one to one or two to one air fuel ratio and running they'll be at 14 to 1 or 15 to 1 air fuel ratio 14.7 so what that means is that on a on a 2 to 1 air fuel ratio there's two parts of air for every part of fuel on a 15 to 1 there's 15 parts of air for every part of fuel so a carbureted engine needs to be extremely rich during crank because of the loss of the fuel dropping off through the wet, wet flow intake manifold before it gets to the cylinder and then also during warm-up or what we would call transition from dead cold to full operating temperature so there's a lot of fuel drop off because of that poor rate of vaporization but the spark plug needs to get to be the central electrode needs to see at least to be and i don't mean one second at 500 degrees it needs to stabilize at a minimum of 500 degrees for it to burn off that cranking fuel and that cold start enrichment if you wet the plugs on a gasoline engine buddy it's all over all right so slow cranking speed and that a weak battery pulling voltage from that coil all right so you have a weak spark if that thing don't go right off then you're wetting those plugs and once you wet those plugs that the that engine is not starting and those plugs will not dry out with it in the cylinder you need to pull those plugs out and i take them into the shop and i like to wire wheel them and blow them off and clean them and put them back in if that happens but that is in that you know that's very very common the guy has a weak battery or he has uh you know if the engine doesn't crank you're better off than it cranking and not being able to light off because if it doesn't crank you're not wetting the plugs so keep that in mind is that you need to be able to run that engine when you cold start it run it at least for a couple of minutes without even if you say i'm just going to start it and then i'm going to move the snowblower i'm using that as an example let it run because you have to stabilize that spark plug temperature otherwise you'll wet that plug and game over game over you're pulling the plugs out and cleaning it because they will not dry off inside the cylinder when they're that wet all right eventually it'll dry off by summertime but they're not going to dry off the, the time that you need to get that engine so if we have all of that together this thing is running okay and then if it runs poorly with a carburetor during the transition period it is usually the choke pull off uh, circuit where it's not opening up the choke plate enough now let's continue on with gasoline and let's talk about efi 
with EFI, what will happen is that everything is the same, but you need to make sure the way the enrichment comes up is through what is called a coolant sensor. It's usually a combination of a coolant and an air charge temperature sensor. And uh, that gives the enrichment. But what you need to do, and you should do this every time you start an engine, is to be able to turn the key to on. You'll hear the electric fuel pump prime. That means it primes the fuel rail. And then once you prime the fuel rail, then you go into crank. You don't go right to crank on any EFI engine, even on an 80 degree day. You need to prime that fuel rail. And then that means that you're cranking the engine and it'll get fuel immediately. And if you have a very, very cold weather or a marginal battery, that letting that fuel pump prime first could be the difference between that thing starting and not starting. But other than the prime circuit, there's nothing that you need to be concerned with any differently than you are with a carbureted engine. All of the dynamics of vaporization, cranking speed, cables, starter integrity, thickness of oil all come into play. Now, let's jump over to diesel. Diesel is a little bit different because what happens is that it is compression ignition. So you need to be able to have in this is rule of thumb so don't hold me to the exact number but diesel fuel needs for it to for it to auto ignite self-ignite compression ignition it needs to see a temperature of around 230 degrees c centigrade which works out to about 446 degrees f so below that temperature say 450 degrees is that you're not going to light that diesel fuel off and that's why an oil burner has an arc uh, electrodes that arc all right because it doesn't have any it burns diesel fuel but doesn't have any compression it's really not an internal combustion engine it could be almost considered you know quasi open chamber engine or engine that open chamber combustion like like uh, uh fuel in a barrel so uh you need to get that air up to about 450 degrees for that diesel fuel to ignite. So how does it do this? It does this by having a very high compression ratio. So you're taking the air molecules and you're squeezing them into a tight area. So it needs to do that by having good cylinder seal and it needs to have a sufficient cranking speed not only to create that differential of pressure from atmosphere into the engine to put charge in but it needs to have a, enough cranking speed for it to heat that air up because it needs to eventually get to 450 degrees f for it to ignite so the older engines that did not have glow plugs years ago all right and people used to plug them in and do all of this stuff and what had what you had to do was to get them to crank fast stuff they used to start on ether and the reason why they would start on ether is that ether has a much lower ignition point temperature than diesel fuel all right so the diesel fuel needs to see around 450 degrees so on a more modern diesel they do it two ways so let's say arguably that the and mathematically you could figure this out assuming that there's very good cylinder seal but this is not an engineering show it's an engineering podcast so you only need to understand it to this level so let's say that the compression of the air from the crankshaft turning sufficiently with enough velocity enough rpm and it compresses the air and the ring seals good and it compresses the air it gets it up to 300 degrees okay so it's 20 degrees outside whatever number you want 
and gets up to 300 degrees. That's not enough. We need 450. All right. How do we get it to 450? All right. So how we get it to 450 and start on diesel fuel is that we either use a glow plug or and some of the more modern engines use an intake air heater. So now, instead of having 20 degree air with an intake air heater that we are trying to compress and have enough increase of temperature from compression, is that we put we heat the air with an intake air heater and that, and that is 200 degrees. So now, if we bring it up to 250 degrees, I'm making up numbers as we go along, she lights off. All right, so that's the purpose of an intake air heater. And that's why you don't need ether because you're preheating the air before it goes into the thermodynamic cycle of compressing the molecules, squeezing them together. Right, you get squeezed together. That comp- that the, uh, the 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 act of compressing them, the friction of compressing them is going to raise heat, and then the fuel gets to 450 degrees, and or the air gets to 450 degrees, and we have auto ignition, diesel compression ignition alrighty now with a glow plug what's basically going to happen is a lot of people don't understand it they say they see this little tip like a spark plug in the cylinder and then that's going to get hot and it's going to uh, ignite the fuel but but the glow plug really is not there to heat the air in the combustion chamber or I should say in the cylinder, not the combustion chamber. So the dynamics of that is that the piston is still squeezing the air molecules and then it pushes the fuel and air mixture, the air-fuel ratio, that's heated to a certain extent from the compression action over by the glow plug and then the glow plug acts like a spark plug. But instead of arcing and sparking, it's uh, staying hot, and then like a, like a soldering iron. And then what happens is when the piston comes up, and that's why the glow plug is on the top of the cylinder. As the piston comes up with the charge, charges air and fuel mixed together. Let's say it's 250 degrees from the compression action. It the fuel hits the glow plug. The glow, glow plug is 600 degrees at the tip, and the fuel lights off, and the engine starts. And as an aside to this, more modern diesels that you will find will actually, the older diesels, you've manually turned on the glow plug with a switch, usually with the ignition switch in the crank position. And then once you went away from there and you went to start, you cranked the engine and let me back up. I'm getting too excited here. You would heat the glow plugs with the ignition switch then turn into crank the engine would start and you would release it after when the engine is running and also during the crank most of applications the glow plugs were not lighting or they was or they uh already extinguished but they had residual heat on a lot of modern diesels what will happen even if they have they'll have a combination of an intake air heater and glow plugs and the glow plug will actually stay on after the engine starts and that is so the engine runs very cleanly. You have these new pickup trucks, these, these tier four engines, right? You go in there, you start them at 20 to below zero, and the thing is that you go and you start it, and it runs nice and clean. It, it runs smoothly during its cold, warm, right after it goes from crank to run, is because it keeps the glow plugs on for a while based upon the air temperature and the cooling temperature. So that's so it runs cleanly and runs nicely when it, on during the, during the, uh, the uh the transition from from cold from cranking to run all right so recap very quickly 
intake air heater heats the air the, the, the lion's share of the heat is made through the compression of the air molecules during crank so that's why cranking speed and everything comes into play if you if you have glow plugs cranking speed comes into play still but also the amount of voltage going to that glow plug because if you starve it for voltage it's not going to get as hot already and then a lot of engines also have an enrichment circuit on an older pump line nozzle they'll have some sort of enrichment circuit on the injection pump that may go that usually looks at a coolant temperature sensor or air temperature sensor and then in a modern uh common rail system basically it's like a 90 percent 95 percent of a gasoline fuel injection system so it has intake air temperature it has a whole bunch of other things going on but but now this is all great right but the thing we need to do is get the fuel to the engine and diesel fuel as we all know has a propensity to gel all right and to and to uh not want to flow when it is cold so very very simple and i'm, I'm preaching to the choir here what you need to do is additize your diesel and i'm a big proponent of additizing your diesel fuel all year round for other reasons for lubricity to get moisture out of it for cetane boost but the best diesel fuel conditioners if you if you say i'm not listening to that hot rod farmer i'm not advertising my fuel in the summertime well if you're going to do it in the winter right if you do it in the winter you need a added an additive that not only stops it from gelling and improves the cold the cold filter plugging point and the pour point so the fuel stays liquid but you need to increase the cetane value of that fuel so the best cold weather additives are in not only keep the fuel in flu the fuel the the fuel in liquid form it also raises the cetane because the cetane if you listen to my show a while back one of the early shows and i have an article on my website under the learning series about cetane and octane cetane is the fuel's anxiousness to ignite so higher cetane fuel will be more anxious to ignite in hot and in cold weather so if you have higher cetane then that fuel is going to ignite easier when it gets to that 400 degree 450 degree mark be it through compression and glow plugs or compression intake air heater so people think of c don't think of cetane as a cold start aid they just think and that's the same thing in the summertime you have 80 degree day because that fuel still that air starts to get to 450 degrees that's a long way buddy from from 80 degrees to 450 for it to ignite so the higher the cetane in the fuel is going to make it easier more anxious is the word i like to use to ignite so you want a additive that not only stops keeps the fuel in liquid form the diesel fuel that you want it to have a cetane improver so if you have those two so basically let's recap before i get into the special delivery segment then the recap is we need to be able to gasoline or diesel have 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 good cranking speed uh, so that's battery starter cables ground and oil thickness gasoline engine we need to be able to have the enrichment circuit whether it's a choke circuit on a carburetor or a uh, enrichment circuit through a coolant sensor and air top charge sensor on an efi system on efi we need to do the prime pulse to charge the fuel rail before we go into crank on a carburetor if it's an automatic choke we need to 
to manually set that choke by operating the gas pedal slowly to the floor twice then go into crank if it doesn't start we're not touching the gas pedal all right we'll stop cranking we'll give it another shot from the accelerator pump and then we'll crank again keep in mind on the gasoline engine to burn off that cranking fuel and that that the cranky fuel and that cold start enrichment that spark plug center electrode has to become a minimum 500 degrees f for it start to burn off that fuel so you don't want to shut the engine right off after 30 seconds or a minute you want to let it stabilize right because what actually has to happen is not only that there needs to be something called a reaction zone happening in the cylinder which is a show on to itself but those are the, that's what you need to know and this stuff here you don't need to be an engine guy to do this all right when it comes to diesel we need to have glow plugs that work properly and i am going to do a a show on glow plugs uh probably within the next month or so glow plugs to work properly cranking speed we spoke about that and we need to get it fuel the fuel needs to stay in liquid form and it needs to have increased cetane increased cetane increased ignitability you do this forget about it this thing is going off all right and you will actually if you could keep that fuel liquid and have a high enough cetane level all right you could actually have a diesel engine start in much colder weather than a gasoline engine because we're not dealing with that rate of vaporization at minus 45 that goes down to almost zero all righty so hopefully you got something from this any questions about it you know you know, please feel free to contact me it's always at s at, at uh i'm giving you the wrong email address at uh hot rod farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com and now we're going to go quickly into our special delivery segment and special delivery is brought to you by firestone ag they're a company that was founded by harvey firestone who is a fourth generation farmer from columbiana ohio mr firestone dreamed of putting rubber tires on farm tractors and his innovative mindset is the core of firestone ag today and lives on with their 23 degree tread bar and ad2 technology i love that 23 degree tread bar uh, the soil is the lifeblood of your farm trusted only to firestone so we have a very short letter today and it's from a chuck in manitoba and hopefully he's listening because i know it's real real cold up there this time of year probably minus 42 43 f not c so uh and he has an older spray coop i guess it's a melrose spray coop i think melrose made them spray coop with a gm alternator and he says that the alternator seems to be charging the battery really doesn't go dead but he notices when he comes to idle the engine that it has the charge light and the light is glimmering and then it's glimmering most of the time and even at higher rpm the light is glimmering very very simple when you have a glimmering light on a uh, charging circuit, glimmering charge light, very low glimmering, you could see it better if you shut the lights off in the dark, maybe a little bit during the day, and specifically on a Delcatron alternator, that is a defective diode trio in the alternator. It's about a $6 part. And uh, you would take the alternator part, split the case, and I believe I have an article on that on my uh, learning series on the website you would split the case and there's what you'll find is a rectifier bridge in there and on top of it is uh, a, a a diode you will know it's a diode unless you 
you know, somebody told you, like I'm telling you, it has three legs. It goes to one, goes to each terminal of the rectifier bridge, and then there's another leg off. So basically, it's one finger down and then three fingers. So if you were to be holding your hand out and have your three middle fingers and take your finger from your other hand, your index finger, and put it over there, that's what it looks like. So it's four legs, three together and one. That is the diode trio. When the diode trio starts to go, is failing, what a diode is, is a one-way electrical check valve. It only allows current to flow one way. It starts, it feeds current both ways. What you will find is that the output of the alternator will be lower. So instead of 14.6, 14.7, maybe 13.7, 13.8, 13.9. And then that light will glimmer because it's feeding it some unrectified AC. Take the alternator off, mark the case split it apart go to town a better auto parts store and get a diet to take the alternate the number off the alternator usually it just goes by the amperage rating of the alternator and then buy a diode trio the last time i bought one there about six or seven dollars maybe i'm wrong ten dollars and you you very very simple three nuts and a screw take it off put it back on there put the alternator together and it'll be fine and you will have to take a uh, the brushes will pop out so i like to use a um, a spray tip from a carburetor cleaner or a brake clean and put it near to hold the brushes. But that's basically it. Uh, but diode trio is bad on that. And if you don't feel comfortable doing it, bring it to an alternator shop. Uh, but if everything else is fine in the alternator, that's all you need. Well, listen, thank you so much. I was talking fast, and I know that because I'm excited about this. I'm excited about you having your engine starting when the cold weather and I'm excited and honored to be able to talk to you on your farm from my farm in New Jersey. Listen, just always know that the Hot Rod Farmer is pulling for you, the American farmer and rancher, and my beloved, beloved America. You have a blessed day, and hopefully you will listen next week. And next week we're going to be discussing volumetric efficiency. So you may want to uh, tune in. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>